Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. I was just telling the choir and orchestra how good they sounded. You noticed I was not up there. That may be the reason, but uh, very talented folks do a wonderful job. As do our instrumentalists, uh, I was raised by a church organist. Uh, she studied at Mary Harden Baylor, as a matter of fact, and uh, I'll tell you that story another time, but I had the opportunity to uh, listen to her play the organ all of my first 18 years of life. Well, probably in the womb as well, but that's another story too. But I have always had deep appreciation for those who play the instruments. They, uh, they don't come with the instruments. And they don't just sit down on Sunday and do this. And so I have a deep appreciation for them, and I know that you want to appreciate them as well. So thank you both. We appreciate you. First of all, we are doing the Lord's Supper today. As you came through the door, you were handed this little outfit. Now, let me go over the instructions, and let me tell you why. There are two things on here. The first thing, there's a little clear cover And so you take that off for the bread. And then you pull this back for the cup. Let me just say, the first time I did this, I never got the bread out and I spilled the cup, getting the juice out. So I just totally missed it. So anyway, if that happens to you, Craig will be in the back after the service and he can go over it with you so that you can take the elements. So... uh, He's wiping his brow. The pressure is on. So uh, if you are at home and want to take the Lord's Supper with us, please do. It can be just as meaningful there as it is here. And so please take a cracker or a piece of bread or something and some sort of liquid to remember this amazing service that we have. This morning we are gathered at the table of our Lord. It is probably one of the earliest remembrances and earliest formal kinds of worship that new Christians in the time right after Jesus observed. I remember growing up in my home church, the First Baptist Church of Happy Texas. It was not the Happy Baptist Church, but it was the First Baptist Church of Happy Texas. Some of you who have had church experiences I have understand exactly what I'm saying. But On that day, the music was different. We didn't have sort of the camp feeling atmosphere. We had very solemn music. And we gathered in front of a table which, as ours says, do this in remembrance of me. I remember as a child wondering about that little cracker that everybody got to eat but me, it seemed. And then taking the Lord's Supper for the first time and understanding what that meant. And I remember the juice. Grape juice, of course. And ours had to be Welch's. I mean, we didn't just settle for any kind of grape juice. And my father usually was one of those that had the little squirter bottle to fill those up. And we would go with him to help prepare that. One of the other things I remember is when we had the Lord's Supper, it was on the table. There was a white tablecloth and then the elements. And then that was covered with a tablecloth. And then watching two old farmers who hadn't folded a sheet in 20 years try to fold that thing up and put it aside where they could uh, uh, administer the elements. You knew they were farmers because of their tan. From here down, they were brown. From here up, they were white as an egg. 
Some of them kind of looked like, well, another short. And I remember watching their wives thinking, if they'd just let us fold the tablecloth, we'd be better off if we could get this done. So, anyway. But I remember most of all that it was a different service. It was a meaningful service. It was different than anything we did at any other time. You know, people have the Lord's Supper for different reasons. Some people, some denominations. There are some believe that what we observe today is a sacrament. That is, it carries saving grace. Uh, our Church Christ brothers and sisters believe that you have to take, you have to be baptized and take the Lord's Supper in order for salvation to continue. The Roman Catholics have seven sacraments. The Lord's Supper and baptism are just two of the seven. But they believe that those are necessary for salvation. People say, well, are they saved? Well, they are Christians if they believe in Jesus Christ. They're sort of like Baptists in that respect. Being Baptist doesn't save you, but if you believe in Christ, you are a Christian. So, however they do it, they believe that it is it carries saving grace. Now, the, the technical word for that, and since I'm over at the college now and do a few things over there, that's called transubstantiation. So if you want to impress your neighbors that are Methodists, tell them that. Say, well, you know, we're not into transubstantiation or consubstantiation. That is, that somehow in the elements, when they are blessed, that they sort of become magically the body and the blood of Christ. In the Roman Catholic system, they believe when they bless the bread and bless the cup, it becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus. That's why if you've ever been to a Roman Catholic Mass, which is always an interesting thing for me, they take the bread out of a locked compartment, and when they get through, they put it back and lock it because it's been consecrated. It's the body of Christ. And that's why when they pour the wine, if they have consecrated that wine, it has to all be drunk that day. That's, they take it very seriously. Baptists believe that these are symbols. Now that in no way says we believe they are less important, but what it does say is that we believe these are symbols of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Interestingly, this is one of the things that is in all four Gospels. Gospels were written from different points of view, different perspectives to different audiences as you begin to study those, but all four of the Gospels have the Lord's Supper in them. Also, 1 Corinthians has it, as Paul was giving instructions to a church that had forgotten how to observe the Lord's Supper. They had made it into a potluck. If you brought your own food, you could have all, you, all of that you wanted, but if you didn't have any food, you went hungry. Paul said that's not what the Lord's Supper is about. It is in remembrance of Jesus and his sacrifice. And one of the things he says is that we ought to examine ourselves before we eat the bread and drink the cup. This morning we're going to take a look at that through Matthew 26. And the, the passage begins, Matthew 26, verse 26. It begins by saying this as they were gathered at the Passover for, for their, the Passover feast. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I do not, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in the father's kingdom. 
And they sang a hymn and went out. Right before that, Jesus had told them, the one who is, uh, when, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. This is then verse 22. And they were very sad. Began to say to him and to each other, surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. And the son of man will go just, will, will go just as is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. And in verse 31, Then Jesus told him this very night, You will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead into Galilee. And Peter said, even if all fall away on account of me, you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared, even if I have to die for you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. table of our Lord. It's where we have come today. When you think about those disciples, you think about the things they brought with them. Judas brought a heart that betrayed Jesus. The others brought a heart that was sort of committed to Jesus. Peter brought a lot of pride to the table. What do you bring to the table this morning as we gather here, as we examine ourselves to see what God would have for us in this passage? Well, I think first of all, we may bring selfishness to the table. The scripture tells us that Jesus was reclining at the table with his disciples. That was the way they ate then. It was sort of to lay down at a low table. That's why foot washing was so important to them. I mean, you really wanted people to have clean feet if, your, if their feet were by your head when you were eating your meal. It was an essential for them. And as they were doing that, going through the, the, uh, the ceremony of Passover and then following that, Jesus was teaching them. And in verse 21, he says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples were stunned, very sad. And they were wondering, surely, Lord, you don't mean me. It has always intrigued me that the disciples asked that and discussed that. Shouldn't they know they were not going to be the ones to betray Jesus? But they, everyone, you know, they talked about it. Surely it's not me. And you think that's how uncertain they were about what was going on that evening. And Jesus said, it's the one who dips his hand in the bowl with me. And Judas said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus said, so you have said. There's a lot of speculation about why Judas betrayed Jesus. Some people think that Judas was just simply trying to force the hand of Jesus to be the kind of Messiah Judas wanted him to be. The kind of Messiah that at the feeding of the 5,000, if you'll notice, they talked about sitting them in, in groups. And those were military groups. They counted only the men at the feeding of the 5,000. He wanted a war. He wanted a rebellion so that Caesar would be overthrown, so the Roman governor would be overthrown, so that the 
high priest would would be overthrown. He wanted to take charge, and he wanted Jesus to live up to Judas's expectations of that. And so he decided to force his hand. Surely if they threaten him, he will step forward and be what I want him to be, Judas would say. That's what he was after. In other words, what Judas was saying is, I know better than Jesus how to be this Messiah. Some people thought it was simple greed. After all, he got 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus. And evidently that was enough to buy a field because that's what the high priest did when Judas took the money back to them and threw it at them. First, Matthew 27 says that after Jesus was condemned, Judas was remorseful and hung himself. We may never know the answer to that one. I don't think that's one we'll relive and replay in heaven, the betrayal of Jesus. I don't think it matters to our faith journey except for this. Whether it's the desire for power or greed, or whether it's to try to make Jesus do life the way we want him to rather than us. I think there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. Could we be at the table betraying Jesus? Preacher, we're good people. I mean, we go to church. We give our money. We act nice to everyone, most everyone. We go on mission trips. But everything we do is fractured by sin. We don't have any pure motives. Our highest motives betray us. Betrayal of our relationship with God. Our, Our selfishness gets in the way because we think... We know better than God how this ought to operate. We know what's going on. And in those times, we put down the cross and take up our own special interest and agenda, and we betray our Lord because we control the narrative. Preacher, we we don't do that. Then it dawned on me, But, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Examine. Examine yourself. Several years ago, a movie came out, The Passion of the Christ. It was the executive producer was Mel Gibson. Uh, Churches all around tried to take people and try to get them to go. It was a hard movie. I went to see that. And I came away moved, but it was hard to watch. It was not entertainment. It was not family friendly. It was, it, it really graphically showed the brutality and the horror of the cross. And it was hard to watch. What I didn't know until studying for this message is that Mel Gibson was in the movie. I think, well, I didn't see him. No, you didn't, but you did if you saw the movie. His face was not in the movie. It was his hand as it held the nail that was driven into the hand of Jesus. Is that us? Have we betrayed our Lord in that way? Lord, forgive me for betraying you, for thinking I know better. With my life, my decisions, and my failures at living for you.
Well, there was another there who specifically was singled out. And that was Simon Peter. Verse 31 says, Jesus wrote, said this, this very night, all of you will, on a, will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then Jesus and Peter had an exchange. Peter said, I don't care what they do to you. If everybody else in the room falls away, I won't. I never will. I, I, I truly, and Jesus said, truly, I tell you this very night, you will betray me. You will forget me. You will deny me three times before the cock crows. You know, I've always appreciated Peter. He seems to be one of those people that if he thought it, he said it. Now, that's not always a good characteristic. I have a sister-in-law like that. And there are days, but Donna loves her, so I have to, too. It's her sister, so what the, what the heck. So Peter was brash and outspoken. He's the one that jumped out of the boat to walk on the water. He was the one that said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter, because you've gotten it right. But almost immediately, Jesus began to talk about his crucifixion. And Peter jumped in the middle of him and said, don't talk about that. And that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's in Matthew 16. It was Peter that carried his sword with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when the Roman soldiers came, he cut one of their ears off, or the, 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 the temple guard. And Jesus fixed the ear. Peter was so brash, so outspoken. It was Peter who ran to the tomb to see the resurrection of Jesus. It was Peter that, that jumped out of the boat after the resurrection and swam to the shore to see Jesus. It was Peter who did all of that. And I love Peter because he got it right a lot of the time. But I'm also I'm sure that there were times when Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Really, Peter? Are you sure? But even Peter turned his back on Jesus. He said, I don't care what others do. I will never betray you. The key word there is I. That pride welled up in him. He was the one that would always be there. He was the one that argued he should be first in the kingdom. James and John also argued that. But it was Peter who said, I should be the leader. I should be the one. I had a friend one time that he and I were talking about being busy as Baptists. You know, if you work for the Baptist, you're busy. There's the old adage, if Mary had a little lamb, it would have been a sheep, but it became a Southern Baptist and died for lack of sleep. Are you remember that one? <laughs> but we had been busy, and I was talking to him and telling him everything I'd been doing. He looked at me and smiled and said, God's so lucky to have you. And I'm thinking, okay, I get it. I get it. The truth is, Peter was busy. He was a leader. He was outspoken, but it was all about Peter. It was his pride that spoke. It was his pride that said, I am there. And that's what he brought to the table that night. But don't we bring that to the table? The way we act toward others? Sometimes it's to promote ourselves, to lift ourselves up. We play the, the sin game. Yeah, I'm a sinner, but why don't we do what those other people do? They're horrible sinners. I'm just sort of a semi-sinner. 
I can't find semi-center in any of the translations I've ever looked at. Self-righteousness, false holiness. None of us are immune from that. Sometimes we think we're just a little bit better than those other people. And those other people can be the riders at the Capitol or the folks on the border or the mass shooting suspect or the terrorist who destroys hundreds of people in one fell swoop. It struck me several years ago, particularly when the Ayatollah Khomeini was doing all of his stuff, that God loves him as much as he loves me. I thought, well, that's just not right. I mean, I'm so much better than he is. But then it hit me. I'm a sinner, and so is he. We may have the pride of Peter. Paul wrote, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, you're not better than somebody because you're here this morning while your neighbor's out doing his yard. We're not better, we're just redeemed. And we give thanks for that, not take pride in that. Do we bring that to the table? Our pride? In the midst of that, what did Jesus bring to the table? I think Jesus brought a broken and loving heart. Five passages of Scripture describe this Last Supper. We've used Matthew's account today. Mark talks about it in Mark 14. Luke covers it in Luke 22. John in John 13. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. All are important because they, they present unique elements of the process. John talks about the washing of the feet. Matthew and Mark are very close. Speculation is that Matthew probably used Mark's gospel to remind him of some of the things and just use some of those. Luke wrote to a Gentile audience, a whole different crowd than, than Matthew and Mark wrote to. But the one thing that is constant is the great love of Jesus and the broken heart he had for his disciples and the world. And so he broke the bread and he poured the cup and he spoke of the brokenness that would be his as he faced death on the cross. But he was, had a broken heart that drove him there because of the sins of the world, because the sins of Judas, the sins of Peter, my sins. He did it out of a broken heart. He wasn't judging them. You know, what Peter did was not so much that different than what Judas did. That's why those moving words in John chapter 20, when Jesus is on the seashore, the disciples are out fishing and they come back in and Jesus addresses Peter again. Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I do. And the third time he asked, it broke Peter's heart. But it was out of that broken heart that he finally became what Jesus saw he could be. Judas gave up. He gave up and hung himself. Could he have been redeemed? I don't know. 
what I know is what Scripture records. But God can redeem anybody, and He doesn't do so out of judgment. Judgment is very real. But He does so out of His desire that we become all we should be. These are hard sermons for me. The one last week, the one this week, to speak of the cross, to speak of the Last Supper. Easter's a lot more fun because you pour hope into an entire room. And that's a lot more fun. But these are necessary. We've got to go to the cross before we can go to the resurrection. But Paul said that while we come to this table and realize what we bring to this table, there's something we need to remember. That we do this, we do this to proclaim his death until he comes. For rest assured, my friends, he is coming. And so we examine ourselves. You know, you could make a big stack of books about the second coming of our Lord. It's a field of study unto itself. There are opinions, there are theories, there are ideas. I've taken whole courses in that twice on the seminary and college level. Churches have split over it. Wars have been fought over it. But the truth is, found in Acts, when the disciples keep saying, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or places, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. But I do know this, when he comes, we will remember that. What a day that's going to be. He told the the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many rooms. I still like the King James. In my father's house are many mansions. You know, it just sort of sounds better. It translates better rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me also where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Paul said, remember that. And then John gives us, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, where the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Remember, that's what we remember. We remember the sacrifice, but we remember the promise that our Lord is coming again. Praise God. Praise God. So what do you bring to the table this morning? I think we probably bring a little bit of all of it. We bring the betrayal of Judas. 
We bring the pride of Peter. We bring the love of Jesus. And we bring the hope of eternity. I want to ask you this morning, if you would, just to take a moment to reflect on your own life. What did you bring to this table this morning? What did you bring to this time we're spending together? And I would invite you to lay your life on the altar once again this morning for a Savior who has a broken heart for each one of us. We will use this as a time of invitation. And if God's leading you to make a decision, I hope you'll make that. But if you need to make it a public decision, I'll be here at the front. As God would lead you, would you come as we stand, as we sing. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or if you need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage.